Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. This week's guest has never shied away from a challenge. Competing in powerlifting, bodybuilding, and collegiate lacrosse was the foundation for her drive as a strength and conditioning coach at UPenn. What do you do when you have three coaches for 33 teams? You fucking get after it. Tracy Zimmer talks effective training and testing at the renowned athletic program and her work with friend of Power Athlete Jim Steele. And no Power Athlete Radio podcast would be complete without a random story from John. This week's How John Once Stole Dennis Rodman's Bicycle on the 4th of July. Yep, that is our podcast. Here's episode 295. Power Athlete Nation. What's happening? Yes, this is your host, Luke, and my co-host, Tex, featuring... John Wellborn. That's right. And John, when you go on all these other podcasts, since you are the only A-lister here, um, do they ever self-proclaim themselves as the premier podcast in their discipline? No, usually what I do is, uh, <laughs> as I'm talking about it, you know, I, I constantly reference, you know, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning, also known as Power Athlete Radio. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it just really, and then people refer to Power Athlete Radio as the premier podcast in strength and yeah, conditioning. Yeah, so Act. if you're listening to this right now, lady, gentlemen, what a privilege what a privilege to get to hear us yip and yap over the next 90 minutes. Well, and if I, you know, and I always think in, you know, if you really like it, you should be able to go to iTunes or really just any place and be able to leave us a really positive five star review. Mm-hmm. And I talk about how great it is. Cause you know, unfortunately those things do matter. And listen, this is totally up to you. Listener Joe or listener Jane. Like if you want to give that review, you're allowed, like you guys are allowed to mention Tex and I, it doesn't have to be all about the featured guest, John Wellborn, and how great that fucking asshole is. Uh, I mean, darn well, asshole. He's way better than that Wellborn A guy. You know, that Jean, French. His, his French counterpart, Jean Wellborn A. Yeah, I periodically we'll get emails, and they'll usually throw an E on the last part of my name, and I'll be like, that's that French guy. I don't know about that Wellborn A guy. But if you were listening to this, and you were one of the individuals who just gets them fresh and ripe right on iTunes, uh, what you need to know right now John, I believe we are in the heat. We are in the heat, the launch of Johnny Football. Are we not? We are. We are definitely in the heat of Johnny Football. You've so, kicked a hornet's nest. People are uh, asking us about it everywhere. everywhere. Every the, channel. Yeah. Um, so for the 10-year anniversary of this little thing I did called CrossFit Football. Uh, not fit football. Yeah, no. Uh, we are relaunching the original 100 <laughs> CrossFit you. Football workouts on Johnny Wad, a.k.a. Johnny Foosball, Johnny Football. So uh, what I'm not doing is just giving you all the watts. I am sprinkling them in Uh, with intelligent training and smart stuff. So I'm giving you a a bit of what I want, and then I'm giving you the D. Yes. And uh, smart move. I was kind of curious because we didn't we didn't really sink on the how that was going to finally no, land. If you're just going to do like five bombardment days straight. No, 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 no. I got 100 workouts to space out. So yeah. you're just not going to get 100 workouts which straight. Be, yeah, it's not 100 workouts straight. Yeah, it's not 100 workouts straight. But I'm going to throw a little bit of what I want. I'm going to throw a lot of what they want. And we're going to take down memory lane and uh, see if things get weird. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to get down on that, if you're one of those old OG CrossFit football coaches who remembers uh, Chimpo, no, not Chimpo, uh, Coco the monkey. Yeah, uh, and, Coco uh, and uh, James, uh, James G, I think, was the other favorite. I, I screen caps. James G and. So, so I still have a lot of the smuggler. archives. 
and uh, forgotten smuggler. Uh, I still have the archives and a lot of the comments. And as I was period, you know, cruising through, there were some very, very familiar posters on there. Mm -hmm. Like, remember, there was. Uh, Oh shit, man! They're like there's just so many of them. As I'm going through the names, like I just started kind of laughing. And so on, on Johnny Wad, I've asked people being like, "Hey, if you were on Cross the Football, yeah, those what days was and your you posted, handle? What was your handle?" And people are listing them, and I started fucking laughing. And I was like, "Oh fuck, I remember!" Because people used to come on and be like, "Hey, I'm brand new and I have these questions," and people would be fighting to curb stomp those fucking people. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was an aggressive. Very, very interesting crowd of individuals that were jumping. So I, I had a dude hit me up, and he's like, oh, I've been fo I've, I follow him every, occasionally, right? And he sent me a link, and there's, like, the Internet Archive and the Wayback Machine and shit like that where, like, there's cached pages of the Internet. But what people don't realize is the original workouts were, like, no one has year one. Because I decided to do, like, the Nate Austin and go into the, the cesspool of the dark corners of the Internet to find out what, who had what CrossFit football archives. You know, like C-Chan and fucking Reddit. That's where you well, but find you, that but stuff. But you got to remember, what we did is... Uh, but it, that was on the original site. Yeah, on the original site. So then we went to the, yeah. the updated site, There's so they do... Like, a lot of people have those workouts. Yeah. But that was when, like... It wasn't about dying without any scars. You know, like, we had sharpened up the pen. Yeah. And it's still for good shit, yeah. but, like... So I'm excited to see how this goes over. Oh, yeah. No, people don't have access to them. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I had one guy hit me up. He's like, you just send them to me? I'm like, no. Fucking join the community, take part, and actually fucking stand up and be counted. Yeah, yeah. So if you are interested, this is being posted on Johnny Wad, right? So go, Johnny Wad's one of our, our programs. It's about hard, heavy, fast workouts, getting you in shape. It's all the great shit that was Also in, known in as Johnny Workout of the Day. Yes. So those of you perverts with the term WOD, it's actually W-O-D. So mm -hmm. Johnny Workout of the Day, a.k.a. Talk to me, Johnny. Johnny Wellborn. Mm -hmm. Johnny. So go to johnnywad.com and you get the sign-up link there. Subscribe. It's what? It's like fucking 15 bucks? Yeah. Is that where we're at? It's not expensive. Yeah. Get in there. Get quality shit. Get skill tracking. Join the community. Enjoy the dick punches. I can't wait for people to like ask a question and just like the OG people be like fucking dick punches coming out on the feed. It's yeah, going to be great. That was what things were commonly referred to when people were a little bit aggressive. So mm -hmm. they would just, and then people would get really butthurt and really angry. And then I would always kind of hopefully chime in and be like, Hey, it's part of like the new part of the community. Whenever somebody new comes you gotta in, you got to yeah, you gotta get jumped in and, and uh, just stick around. You'll be fine. And uh, yeah, it was good. So enough about us. Let's get talking with our guest today, Tracy Zimmer, who kind of has a little bit of heritage and history with this team here. Well, not me, but Tex and John, because she bailed you guys out with Jim Steele's podcast. Big time. Yep. Right. So she's the assistant strength and conditioning coach at Penn, uh, worked with Steele. Steele's kind of stepped down and moved on, and she's uh, in there battling the good fight. And we're going to hear what it's like to be at an Ivy League school and way outnumbered in sports and athletes to coaches. So it's good chat, lots of good stuff. Uh, strap yourself in, people. Another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Here we go. What if we started this journey, Tracy? Like, tell us how you got to this point. I mean, what's your background athletically? What brought you into, you know, wanting to be a strength coach? Was there any other aspirations prior to that? Aspirations or aspirations? Same thing, if you, uh -huh. if you mumble enough. <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> Um, so I, I played lacrosse in college at Temple University and had to complete an internship for my exercise science major. Um, found that Penn had an internship and so still likes to say that he was, he was my last professor. Um, I interned at Penn, found a 
you know, part-time position and then work my way in full-time. So it never happens that way in college most often. So I'm pretty lucky. Very lucky. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a long road. Did, did y'all have strength and conditioning at Temple? We did. you were playing lacrosse? Yeah, we had a few different strength coaches. So, you know, not a lot of consistency over my four years with what we were doing training-wise. But I started out pre-health professions. I thought I wanted to be a physical therapist. And I realized I want to work with the not necessarily general population or unhealthy athletes. I wanted to help build better athletes, get them stronger, mm -hmm. faster, um, that kind of setting. Did you value those sessions as an athlete or was it just kind of those things you had to do? No, I loved it. Like I always look forward to it. So, you know, a lot of coaches, especially female sports, you know, with running, they let, they're like, oh, we got to get these girls in shape and shape. Not, not big on running. I like to sprint, um, do things fast. So when we had conditioning tests, it wasn't, wasn't my cup of tea. Um, <laughs> I love the, love the weight room, love squatting, pressing, all of it. So, I mean, we can dive into your athletic career because you had a career after your athletic career, right? So we, you had the opportunity to coach and then you went figure powerlifting. So let's, let's continue on your athletic journey. Okay. Um, yeah, not figure, but I did oh. compete in uh, bodybuilding first and then physique. Um, uh, yeah, we uh, we probably just lump it all in at one. So, uh, okay. uh, yeah. Oh, no, believe, believe me, I constantly make fun of Jim all the time. I'm like, send me a picture in your undies. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, <laughs> so I, I bust his balls constantly. I'm like, just send me, because I know he just recently did. He was like, I'm going to do another contest. I'm like, make sure you send me some undie pictures. I like it. Yeah, yeah, he won that one. Yeah. Um, so I actually started powerlifting first, um, competed a couple times. 2010, I set the PA squat record. Um, I've got a lot of back issues, so I haven't competed since. Sort of work around different injuries. Um, I've fought Muay Thai. I did the 2000, I think it's 2016 uh, World Expo. So it was a tournament, three-day tournament. Um, the physique, bodybuilding. So I, I did bodybuilding first. I was like five years ago. It was hellish because I love to eat. Um, so the diet, not, not so exciting. With the... Last competition I did, I was in a much better starting position, and I did physique just because in women's bodybuilding, honestly, there's, like, no competitors who want to do that. It's all the bikini and the figure, and I'm not going to walk around in, in, on a stage in heels. It's just not me. <laughs> Fair enough. That's big, uh, but Tex is big into that. Yeah. We were just actually talking well, about just that around his house. <laughs> before the show, <laughs> and uh, Tex is, uh, if you were to walk around on stage in heels, ladies and gentlemen, what was the song, John? Uh, actually, Tex, it was, Tex volunteered this information. If I ever had to get up and strip, it would be to <laughs> Tiffany's I Think I'm Alone Now, which he proceeded to, oh. to like have it queued up and played immediately. All five minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> and the weird part is, is he knew every, sing uh, every word. Uh-huh. We all did. We all did. <laughs> So don't you throw that. That's kind of our pregame a little bit. But I mean, I, I would have loved to see you just get out there and strut a little bit. Uh -huh. You know, listen to Power Athlete Radio listeners. When you're around the same people every single day, <laughs> you just got to keep pushing the boundaries of what you want to know about one uh, another. And really, it's I, like, no, 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 I, I, I don't think we do. Oh, I, yeah. We now know what tech strips to. <laughs> and what's disappointing to me is like, I don't have a song. I think you put something on. I'm just going to go with it. Well, the problem is now our guest knows what's to oh, tech yeah. strip with it. She can't unsee that. <laughs> Sorry, Tracy. We're bringing you into like the shadows. Uh, yeah, of power yeah the weird parts. <laughs> uh, if, I, if I decide to lose some muscle and need heels, I know who to borrow. <laughs> Well, I, you know, he does have some. Uh, what size is your foot? Eight, eight and a half. Oh, oh yeah, same a, size. Same, same size. 
<laughs> so Dex, Dex, I'm sorry. E. Eight and a half E. <laughs> They're like Legos. They're real it's square wide, and yeah, wide. Wide base. Yeah. <laughs> they change of direction. Uh, so you get into, uh, uh, but you hit some pretty gnarly numbers. I remember Jim telling me you deadlifted well, uh, well over 500 and had some pretty amazing numbers. No, you're thinking of uh, Christy. Oh, was that so, Christy? Yeah, was Christy. My squat was, my best squat's 415. Um, best deadlift's 405. Okay. Yeah, Jim always was bragging about uh, how strong his coaches are and the numbers and all this. And then I was pairing his female lifters to these two guys. And uh, he was like, so obviously, (laughs) no, that's not the case. But no, Jim was, uh, you you know what? I I met him uh, in kind of a really interesting way. He just randomly sent me an email. He had read read some blog that I wrote or, you know, some post. And uh, he's like, I know we don't know each other. We have mutual friends, but uh, I really enjoy reading all your stuff. And I think you should write more. And I was like, oh, shit, I, I know Jim Steele is. And that's how we ended up becoming friends. And then he came out to the symposium. And uh, um, that was where I really got to, like, um, obviously connect with him. But I got to meet him, you know, when we did the the podcast before, which. Yeah, that's like kind of a, I wasn't there, but there's a lot of like Tex had some good decision making. That well, time. he shut the door and he locked oh, it, he locked the keys in. So I think she, you had to show yeah, up to let us in. in. And then uh, I think we ran out of tape somewhere around 30 minutes in. And yeah. we talked for three hours. Well, Episode 180, uh-huh. you'll get about 60 minutes of gold, and then the rest of that four-hour conversation and beers is lost in the flat the universe. ether. Well, the worst is as we were just ranting, I think Tex just kept looking at it and being like, I don't think it's working, but I'm just going to go on because I don't want to say anything. Oh, I, I was taking notes. <laughs> I had a great time. Uh, we learned a lot that day. Well, no, I mean, I, uh, I lived in Philly. I mean, I, I, my apartment was, uh, I had a view of Franklin Field from my apartment. I lived in okay. Braden Center City. I lived on 25th and Locust. Oh, that's and, awesome. Yeah, super close. Yeah, so I, I could see Franklin Field. And so it was cool every time I get a chance to go back to Philly. Like, I drive these guys around. They're like, man, you drive around here like, uh, <laughs> who's chasing you? <laughs> or, or, or like you were here yesterday. I'm like, dude, this is where I lived for five years. I lived in South, you know, and then if you, if you live in that neck of the woods, you learn every back street because, you, you know, the school uh-huh. could be packed and you got to go here and there. And, man, and then I lived in Maniunk and, and all over. So now that city is, uh, will always have a special place in my heart. Awesome. Yeah, I'm in East Falls, so. Oh, here with Maniunk. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful place. So now I'm stoked. I'm, I'm actually coming to Philly uh, first week of February. Um, one of my wife's friends, uh, her and her husband have a restaurant out in Bryn Mawr, And okay. they've been like inviting us to come out for years. And uh, they finally are like, we're shutting it down. So they're uh-huh. like, you got one more weekend to come. So my wife like got online and found out, you know, found tickets. And she, I was what like, right? ah, uh, what's that? What, what's the restaurant? Uh I do not know. It's a steakhouse somewhere in Bryn Mawr, which I was kind of, when, when they said Bryn Mawr, I'm like, there's a steakhouse in Bryn Mawr? I just thought that was all homes. I didn't know they, they had many restaurants around there. So, uh, yeah, so we're actually going in to go to this, her friend's restaurant that uh, she's been talking about for years. Like, oh, we should go. I'm always like, oh, yeah, it's great. You know, and then uh, I was like, well, can we use points? And so I was putting these, like, huge hurdles, and she figured it out. She's like, I got points. I got everything. I'm like, okay, let's go. So we're oh. going to go. and uh, yeah, Let me know the name. Okay. Yeah, I'll... Uh, I'll, I'll pull it up here in a second, but yeah, uh, I'm supposed to be pretty decent. And, uh, I guess the guy, uh, he does a ton of private chefing all around, you know, kind of mainline type stuff. And he's like, he has, he started this restaurant and realized that his job was much better doing a bunch of private chefing for rich people than actually owning a restaurant. Yeah. I was like, shocker, but right. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, still to this day, probably the, oh, is that it? Yeah. Uh, how do you say it? Cerise, Cerise craft steakhouse in Bryn Mawr. And, um, 
But uh, when I ever take these guys to Philly, it's like an eating adventure, which is by far the number one pastime, right, probably right after drinking in Philadelphia. That and, <laughs> you know, and booing people and being pissed off about nothing. But now that all the sports teams are good, people have really nothing to be angry about, but they still find yeah. stuff. Then, uh, let's talk. I mean, we can stay with Jim. So you had the opportunity to work with him close to a decade and mm-hmm. talk about mentorship and an opportunity. Like he said, you're la- he's your last professor. And the rest of the industry, they don't really work like that. So right. was there a moment you realized what you had in that mentor and, and wanted to, to follow and listen to him? I mean, honestly, I think like every day. Um, you know, I've had the chance to be around like Marty Gallagher, Kirk Krawoski, like all these iron legends. So pretty, pretty cool in that sense. And, you know, just the things that I've learned, like every day, you know, when he's coaching, he's like, you know, just to the kids, um, how you approach everything. And I, I sort of have that same mentality where, you know, like, let's get better at everything that we do and pay attention to how you're doing things. And I think that, you know, people today, it's like everyone's got their own ideas. So, you know, we see a lot of people sort of go rogue and want to do some gimmicky things. And I think that if you just start, you know, hold true to the basics and, you know, set some goals, like be really clear on what, what you're working towards. Um, I think that's, that's huge. Do you use the smart base, uh, same way he does? Sparta? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it depends on the sport, um, how we're using it. I don't use it myself personally in my own training. Um, but with our athletes, yeah, we, we get them all to test on the force plate. And we're actually one of the largest university partners with, you know, close to a thousand athletes. Um, we've had it for three years. We've reduced injuries like crazy, um, saved the university hundreds of thousands on insurance premiums. Um, so, I mean, we've got definitely seen a re- return on the investment with using it. Uh, do you find more, um, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, injuries are kind of sports specific and it's kind of interesting when you look at different sports, there's kind of clusters of injuries like, uh, um, you know, obviously football has a, you know, a little bit of everything, but you think like uh, lacrosse or some like the female sports, torn ACLs, kind of mm-hmm. things in that nature. Do you really kind of attack it from that or do you just allow like the, you know, uh, cause when we, I, I had never really seen, uh, the Sparta uh, deal until Jim took us through it when we were there. And then yeah. it since met, um, Zilmer, UT uses it. No, but, uh, uh, the guy who's the creator, Big Joe, the donut. Oh, Wagner. Oh, Wagner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wagner. Yeah. So Phil Wagner, um, who ironically is actually married to a girl I went to high school with. Yeah. That's so I, 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 I was with him down in San Antonio when we went in for a deal for the air force. And, uh, as we started kind of talking, he's like, Oh, where are you from? And I, I told him and he's like, Oh, my wife's from there. And he mentioned her name. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly who that is. She's a year older than me. So, you know, always a small world, but, uh, it was interesting to pick his brain and, and, uh, you know, he, and the cool part of him talking about that, like injuries tend to cluster around sports, which is totally makes sense. I mean, if you have a similar demand, similar type of athlete fitting within the profile, and then you kind of, you know, have to go out and, uh, really, I guess, drive towards it. But like, um, can you talk a little bit about how the training really changed three years ago, bringing that in? Yeah, I think we, I mean, in terms of our programming, I think first, when we got the, the technology, I think a lot of sport coaches were hesitant because they thought it was going to be like some cookie cutter program. Everyone's doing the same thing. Whereas, you know, we're still writing the program. We're still training the athletes, teaching them the lifts and, you know, from, from that standpoint, we've come a long way where it's okay to do the same thing, right? Because you need that consistency. Um, the, with the injuries, I would say the biggest thing is in predicting injuries and 
actually reducing them is being able to change things and actually make adjustments based on the results. So what happens with the force plate, the athletes jump, it gives them a, a score. It's called the movement signature. And it's essentially their force production, in three variables, right? And based on how the athlete moves during their jump and the numbers assigned to each variable, we can tell, you know, whether an athlete is predisposed to ACL, knee injury, you know, thinking from the ground up or shoulder injuries. So in a lot of sports, you know, baseball, for example, you know, they can correlate the jump to UCL or shoulder or other, other potential injuries. So then we can train um, to improve the, the variables that are the weakest. So they're at a less lower risk of, of injuring whatever they might be at risk for. So you're, you're also doing kind of like a, a quantitative and or I'm sorry, qualitative assessment. So you're watching how that athlete jumps and you'll notice if something's a little wonky, would you have them rejump or you just know that there's intervention that's required? So we don't have them rejump. It's, it's six jumps, right? So the standardized test with, you know, the hundreds of thousands of athletes who have jumped, um, they've been able to validate that by the way an athlete moves through that range of motion in a vertical jump. Things force basically is related to how the muscles are performing and how that athlete moves and could potentially be at risk because of either loss of force or not not moving properly so i guess there is a mechanical component to how they're how they're jumping um and that will, will play into how their skin looks but it's a movement that you don't necessarily have to coach so we get, get kids who come in you know everybody can jump and we can improve their jumps. You yeah, hope. yeah, we hope everyone can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we hope. Oddly yeah. enough, Tracy, you know, we we used to test vertical jumps at the CrossFit Games at our because <laughs> we had a vendor booth. And you'd be surprised. Uh, There's fucking people that well, they know how to jump, but they don't know how to land. Uh, I'm telling you, they would reach yeah. and people would fall flat on their backs. Yeah, wow. it was uh, trying to jump sober. <laughs> it, it, it started Maybe. it started as, as kind of just a parlor trick like we wanted to collect a bunch of metrics and data on people and their training style so we were at the CrossFit Games and we realized that the majority of people follow some form of CrossFit template and talk to them about their training and then let them you know obviously jump on the vertical jump and it was pretty amazing to like hear what people were doing for their training see them jump and then like kind of kind of put it all together. And I realized that submaximal efforts for extended period of times uh, do nothing other than negatively affect your ability to generate force and get vertical. Yeah, you see like a, a stocky dude or chick who's like pretty, you know, pretty well built. And they're like, oh, sweet. 17. Is that good? And we're like, ah, yeah, <laughs> 17 inches. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I, and it, I mean, and then all of a sudden a dude kind of walks over and you talk to him about his training and the dude jumped like, what was it? Like 46 inches. Yeah. And the guy's like, oh yeah, I played in the NFL for a couple of years and I was a receiver and the dude, yeah, James, like, right? Yeah. James, James uh, dude, Townsend. Townsend. Yeah. And he, uh, he jumped like 40 plus and like was f skyrocketed and like, everybody's like, ah, oh, you know, pretty skinny legs, high calves, you know, real long limbs, like looked like a receiver basketball player. And people were like, well, his quads are so small. And I was like, well, like, <laughs> uh, you know, like there's a reason that horses don't jump high, like they run fast and I, you know, kind of going through it, but it was, it was really interesting, uh, you know, at least for us to become that, um, start understanding that you become what you train the most, you know, you, like they say, you become, uh, uh, what is it like the five people you're around end up, you know, shaping who you are as an individual. Um, I really realized that, uh, even though people start with a, a certain genetic adaptation or a certain genetic opportunity, you really mold yourself based on the training that you do and doing a 
you know, form of training that looks like nothing but bilateral hip hinging in the sagittal plane with submaximal efforts repeatedly, you know, has a conversion of fast twitch to slow twitch muscle fibers to survive it. And it just makes you a very one dimensional, unathletic person that can just stand up and down really fast. And, but yeah. then when you ask them to move in space and start moving around, which I think you saw within the methodology, a lot of that, uh, you know, definition of athleticism and a lot of the things that we teach within that methodology course, within our methodology course is based off of having 200 plus opportunities to go out and train uh, and put CrossFitters through a seminar based on athleticism and movement and power and speed and then realizing how deficient people were and then realizing almost the goodwill hunting model where it's like the hug and it's like, it's not your fault. This is the train, you know, you're, you are what you train the most. Right. And if you don't put, you know, power, strength and speed and movement and technique and, you know, reduce margin of error at the forefront of the training, it has a negative training effect. But then realizing that, you know, uh, a negative training effect for us in terms of sport is, you know, not a good thing. But for somebody who's just trying to be fit, it makes sense. And it's, it's this really interesting kind of, uh, you know, position and mindset can you be fit and be an athletic of course i'm sure you've had athletes walk through the door that you know could go all day and were super fit but just didn't move well and then you've had people that were incredible movers that you know probably break a sweat walking upstairs and you're like man if only i could just kind of cross these two yeah and then, you and, solve, like the sports skill is separate you know we we can give them the product from from the weight room from the conditioning portion but they can't display their skills because they don't have that ability it's well, the, the, the one that I really liked with Jim was uh, when we went to tour, he was talking to me how, how important the boxing stuff was. And he's like, you know, we do Muay Thai, it really opens up the hips and the explosion and this. And that's my background was the fight game and actually learning to box and like that. Those skills were what allowed me to do it. And he's like, man, this is by far one of the, uh, the best things we do with our athletes and also the, one of the most empowering things for our female athletes is teaching yeah. them how to throw a strike and teaching them that, you know, they don't have to be you know, passive and they can go out and do these things. And, uh, the thing I always really appreciated about Jim and really just the whole, uh, program that he was looking at was about empowering his athletes, you know, using technology, you know, never being, uh, too big or my, you know, I'm, I'm Jim Steele. I know everything. He's like, man, if there's a new technology, it allows me to do my job better, you know, so that kind of always, you know, be humble, always be a, a white belt mindset was what I think really, uh, connected me with him and it sounds like that you know that bit of coaching which is tends to be lost a lot of times i think in the in the coaching circles yeah for sure and the challenge i guess with sport coaches coming to you did it help you now i guess in rethink your communication because i mean said principle is one of those things you can't not do right form follows function so if they want this crazy conditioning test but it won't necessarily help them on the field or the court so has that helped change your perspective for communicating to the sport coaches and the athletes? Yeah. I mean, I've had those conversations plenty of times. Um, and I, you know, I think it's frustrating as a strength coach when, you know, a coach comes to you and they're like, Oh, we want to do this. And, you know, okay, well, here's why this might not be the most advantageous way for you to approach this. Um, and I think it's just having that conversation because, you know, you can, take the best athletes and, you know, Oh, this person's doing that, you know, and because they're a professional, we should have our kids do that. Okay. We, we don't have that athlete. We need to start somewhere else with, with these kids. Um, so I think just in terms of opening up that communication with the coach and sort of saying like, okay, well, you know, you can do that, but here's what I would recommend. Um, I think just, it's a conversation I'm happy to have and have had lots of times. I always wondered if sport coaches would be as receptive to your ideas about their, 
coaching and what they should be doing on practice as they are usually walking in the weight room and being like, Hey, I think we should do this. And you're like, great. Cause I got a whole bunch of stuff for you too. Exactly. Yeah. No, I don't do that. I try to stay in our lane, you know? Yeah. And, and I, and, and you should. And the, the weird thing about, uh, performance training, strength conditioning is everybody thinks they're, everybody thinks they're an expert because they've done a push up or they've done some form of training. Um, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I always laugh like, um, when people start, you know, talking about football and I'm sitting there watching and my wife's pretty good. Like she'll ask questions. Like she, she knows football really well, but she'll always ask questions because she's, uh, realizes that like what you see in terms of like, Hey, the ball carrier, what happened? Oh, everybody points to that guy. And a lot of times it's either a broken scheme or somebody was doing something and there's always a deeper meaning for everything. Uh, unfortunately strength or with uh, sport coaches, they, they see like shiny things and we should do this. Or I saw LeBron doing this and you're like, there's a reason that there's only one LeBron. And right. I'm pretty sure that LeBron could do just about anything and he's still going to be LeBron. And that's yep. the hard realization for the sport coach. Yeah, that in time also, you know, with it varies by league, but the Ivy League's pretty strict. We would get, you know, if they're in the off season, you know, you get six hours with them. Coach can divide that up however they want. So we might get two, three hours and we've got to get them stronger and faster in a you know, pretty limited amount of time. Yeah, that is insane. It, it almost seemed like, I guess, the the female, they wanted coaches that I've worked with, they wanted to focus more on the, the skill acquisition. And it was difficult, I guess, to communicate the the depth and the value of a barbell in injury right. prevention and force reduction and all that. That was always the challenge. It was all about skill work or conditioning that I was always going to battle with. Well, of course. I mean, every, nobody's in good enough shape. That's why, you know, you've never seen like the fourth quarter is ours. That's always my, been my favorite thing when everybody's like, where are we on in the fourth quarter? I'm like, doesn't everybody fucking say that? That's why I always used to tell uh, in NFL stuff. I'm like, we need to train for the third quarter. The third quarter is ours. Fuck that fourth quarter. Everybody already has it. <laughs> and, what about uh, the first quarter? <laughs> yeah, dude, it's just... I'll take halftime. Uh, but you know what? Like, I, I think the skill acquisition, it, it's really what they can control. And then at the end of the day, uh, any fool can run anybody into the ground. Right. So, like, as I look at it, I'm like, uh, by far the lowest level life form of strength coach is the guy who just conditions the shit out of somebody because it's fucking easy. Like, anybody can beat a horse to death with a whip. Like, it just, but to actually get somebody faster and, and develop speed and, you know, power and strength actually takes a little bit of understanding and, you mm -hmm. know, volume and intensity and rotating these things and figuring out limiting factors and assessments. Like, that actually takes a little bit of skill. And unfortunately, that takes time. It takes effort. It takes mentorship and it takes, you know, having trained yourself. And I think a lot of people are just like, you know, that's why the CrossFit stuff was so, was so big, I think, because, you know, go to a two day seminar, open your gym and set motherfuckers on fire right. for 60 minutes, put them on a caloric restriction. And I guarantee in three months, you're going to have this novice effect and people are going to get in shape. And then next thing you know, they're on fucking Instagram being like fucking selfie, mm -hmm. best thing I ever did. Or even like having the skill set, wherewithal or insight to use the tools to burn people down, but knowing you're not doing it because you're getting them in shape, but using it as like a gut check, a mental check, and knowing how to place that, periodize that, and not fuck up the rest of the training, you know? And like Chris Morris was talking a little bit about that a few weeks ago. Um, you know, and I think that's a, that's a skill set that a lot of coaches probably don't have either. Yeah, well, you have to be a teacher, you know? You can't just say, like, online, go. Like, how, how are we going, you know? Like, are we doing a 5-10-5? Are we doing a 20-yard sprint? Are we coming out of a three-point stance, two-point stance, you know? Like, it's all about movement efficiency. If you're not doing it to be efficient, then, then why are you doing it? With, uh, with the limited time that you have to train your athletes, is there, uh, I don't even know how you do it, but is there like kind of a, um, 
a little bit more on them to get all their work done? Like, for example, like if you have limited time, is it something where you're like, ah, I only have so much time with you guys, but this is what we have to do. If you can do this, um, you know, do extra. I remember when um, I was in college and Todd Rice came in, who was our strength coach at the time. He was a big Olympic lifter and we can only snatch, clean and jerk and press. And uh, I would have to go down to the RFC where our, uh, like our student uh, rec center and we'd go down there and do bench because he wouldn't let us bench press. So we would just get done, do whatever we do, and then we would just go hit upper body and bench because it was important to us, but he wouldn't let us to do it. And people are like, you, you go lift weights in your free time? I'm like, yeah, what else the fuck are we going to do? Like, yeah. But that was just part of what we did. And then we went to go test, and I remember I benched 500 pounds, and he was like, see, I told you you don't need to do any bench press to fucking bench 500. <laughs> you're right, coach. I was like, you're right. You know. And then later on, years later, I'm like, you know, I was sneaking out benching three days a week, you fuck. Um, yeah. But the... Uh, I think we can, we can do that. Um, but we also have times during the day where we're just open because most kids schedule classes and we've got a lot of kids who love the training. So they come back down into the weight room and we'll write them extra workouts or, or you know, the workouts will be posted and we're sort of have, have to supervise obviously from a safety standpoint, but, um, we, we get the kids in to get, get what they need to get done. I guess with the rise of the sport of fitness gyms or the micro gym, have you got kids that come in super experienced with the barbell or poor movement patterns that it's almost more difficult to coach them up because they have had bad experience? Uh, I think it depends on the sport, you know, because we've got a lot some non-traditional sports like men and women squash and they don't have a traditional lifting background at all. They, they, they you know, I've taught them to like it because they see how it helps them. Um, but we, we've definitely gotten some kids now with football, especially who are having better coaches coming out of high school where, you know, kids, kids know how to clean. They know how to squat, you know, they're, they're going through the full range of motion. Um, and I think it sort of depends on the, the kid, maybe what position or who's influenced them, you know, and obviously there's so many resources now where there are kids with access to barbells and better high school strength coaches. I think, you know, we trained a guy who was a professional squash player. And he was like the biggest fan of the program for the fact that he said uh, uh, that he was able to hit the bird at a dramatically faster rate. And like, they, I guess they time how fast like the bird travels. And he saw like a dramatic effect from the, the speed of the bird and his movement from lifting weights and thought that basically basic barbell, kind of what we were doing with a little short, you know, hard, heavy Metcons and some, you know, basically dynamic movement was like, he's like, this is every squash player should do it. And I was like, Oh great. And he's like, I'm not telling anybody what I'm doing though. He's like, traditionally there's like this attitude that like lifting weights will make them slow. And he's like, honestly, I'm fucking able to kill people. And, uh, where was he? I think he was in, he was either in Europe or Australia. He wasn't from the United States, but it was, uh, yeah. it was a funny our, our squash teams are like the uh, United nations from everywhere. His kids. And, uh, most people think it's, uh, um, and I, I remember cause the guy sent me videos and I was like, Holy shit, dude, that thing does move fast. And yeah. it, it was it was super athletic in the movement and everything. And I thought, man, that's a, it's a neat sport to watch. But unfortunately, here in the U.S., like if it's not, you know, football, baseball or basketball, people are really aren't going to watch it. I mean, you can go yeah. to Europe and, you know, I mean, Tex, remember when we were in uh, was when we were in Spain, Spain yeah. and we sat down and we watched the European track uh, championship and there had to be 40, 50,000 people in the stands and like and people were there. And I mean, when was the last time you saw that many people that wasn't a Texas relays or something? Or, or pen relays. Pen relays. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember when pen relays used to happen every year, man. That was like uh, just to see the crowd of people. And, but it was great to it's see. The, it's the only event that sells out Franklin Field. 
the only really? Penn athletic event. Huh. Yeah. Penn football is not what I would call fucking barn burners. <laughs> it's just not like... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's it's Ivy League football, and it's uh, it's it's non scholarship, but I think you can get financial aid, so it's in that Ivy League yeah. deal, which you know, but you right. still get a chance to go to Penn, which is pretty good school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah my cousin went there. Um, so, talk to us about all the different sports that you work with. So, we, you mentioned thirty three different sports earlier, but which ones do you have direct influence on, where you get to write their programs and lead those teams? So, I've got uh, men and women's lacrosse women's rowing, women's tennis, men and women's squash. Um, probably forgetting somebody here. I think, yeah, I think, oh, track, for track and field, I coach uh, men and women's cross country, mid distance and vertical jumps. So pole vault and high jump. Ooh, pole vault. Yeah. That's athletic. Yeah. So have you seen similarities, parallels throughout your nine career where you're starting to see all these different connections between training all these different athletes that are specialists? Uh, I think, you know, again, going back to the basics, everyone's going to do some variation of a squat. Everyone's going to do some variation of a press, um, depending on where they are in season, out of season, what the goals are. You know, I, I have a lot of sport coaches who, when I first started out, you know, when they tapered, it was just like, they just stopped showing up. And I think that's, you know, come a long way where people are still training throughout, you know, championships. So I think that's probably one of the biggest, biggest factors for continuing to just improve strength when you can. And at Philadelphia, you are dense with college. Drexel, Temple, and Philly, you get a lot of colleges. So do you get to go and mix and mingle with the other strength coaches to find out what they're doing, or you try to just keep it all within no, secrets we get within out. the house? Um, so some of those, actually, I'm get another certification so i needed a mentor for it so mike rhodes who's the director over at villanova he's my mentor for that um the temple guys i'm close with you know i was actually over there a few weeks ago visiting um, i know they have some changes with new football coaches coming in so um the olympic side over there is different or you know a lot of places they've either got basketball and football and olympic where you know we're still all in one one way room so uh any chance they're going to offer you jim's job I applied. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised. Is there a, uh, is there a female strength coach in, uh, in, in college football? I was going to say like, is there a female yeah. football strength coach? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's a few actually. I'm not sure how many, but I've reached out. I would love to work in, in football. I feel like it's sort of like the last sport where strength truly matters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like the pinnacle. Yeah. Well, no, but it, and it's uh, I mean, like the Raiders, uh, you know, hired that. Uh, Martinez. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, to run sprint stuff. And she's one of Tom Shaw's uh, coaches. And, you know, Tom trains, you know, I trained with Tom and know him. And he's one, you know, that's where the fastest people in the world come out of Tom Shaw's deal. So I think yeah. it's interesting because Gruden ended up canning him. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, uh, did they can yeah, the, the, the girl sprint coach, too? But I probably not. Uh, but yeah. So it would be uh, that. Would, I mean, it would be good. Uh, I hate to say it, but it would be it would suck that it would take Jim to have to fucking kick him in the pants like that to actually get them to, you know, mobilize in a, in a positive way. So hopefully something good comes yeah. of it. You know, yeah, hopefully. we'll see. <laughs> Unfortunately, people rarely do the right thing, which is so tough in this world, you know, yeah. and especially at, at large, you know, universities are kind of like trying to turn battleships, man, or, you know, uh, aircraft carriers. So 
politics and sports. Well, anytime you get so much, I mean, I, I always think it's anytime there's so much money surrounding something, uh, there's people, everybody wants a chance to have their hand in it or, you know, their say, and this is what I think. And uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it be an NFL team or a place like Penn. I mean, just the endowment. I remember seeing what the endowment for the Penn was, was insane. And just there's so many people who kind of view themselves as stewards and protectors of this thing that it ends up just becoming fucking useless in a lot of ways because it's just too many chiefs and, you know, too many or too many chiefs, not enough Indians or, you know, uh, too many chefs and not enough, you know, uh, people to serve. So I just hopefully it uh, ends up working out in the right way and you can go on and do something good, too. So, yeah. Thanks. But still was like, ask, ask John about the Dennis Rodman story. Oh, Dennis Rodman story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We've had to have tell this one on the podcast, right? Uh, okay. So yeah. 4th of July in Newport Beach, California um, is like a big, big deal. What they do is they shut down the peninsula and it's like this big party and people well, so, come. So real quick, let's in case people haven't been to New, Newport Beach, it's that's one of the largest man-made peninsulas or harbors or something, isn't it? But basically how it works is like the coast. So in California, that whole southern coast is like kind of like beach city, yeah. and surf city. But Newport Beach, there's this little peninsula that you, co- you cross a bridge and go down on. And like there's all there's big strips of bars and like that's and then you get to the tip of that peninsula. And that's where like kind of the big houses and stuff are like big kind of mansion yeah. houses. Right. Yeah. So we're uh, I live down on the peninsula about three blocks from the wedge. And uh, 4th of July is just big. So I had a lot of friends in town and one of my teammates, Boomer Grigsby, uh, who played with me in Kansas City. Boomer's in town for 4th of July and we somehow end up at this bar. We walk in and as we walk upstairs, uh, Dennis Rodman's up there with all of his little handlers and his little, you know, like, do you, did you ever see uh, Starship Troopers? How like the big brain bug had all those little bugs with them. Yeah. Yeah, like the little like. 100% seen Starship okay, Troopers. Okay, so imagine, imagine if... Rodman was the brain bug, which he's not because he's a fucking moron. But he has all these little brain bugs with him, little, 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 little like helper bugs. Can I ask what the year is? Uh, I want to see. Well, I was in Kansas City, so I'd okay. probably say like 06, 07. Just trying to get a stage of Dennis Rodman to, to paint this picture. Well, was I think he, he was out of the NBA at the time. Oh, but he was acting. So I got double take or double team, whichever. Yeah. Well, yeah. I Who knows? So we walk upstairs and Rodman's there and I'd met Rodman before. And so he uh, comes over and is fucking drunk, acting like a fucking fool. And uh, he. Let me see. How I wrote, he like notices that Boomer's wearing a Rolex. And so he points at it and starts fucking belittling him for wearing a Rolex that they're pieces of shit watches and nobody should ever buy them. And he kind of goes to this whole thing and, Ro- and Boomer's like, ah. Uh, uh. I just was kind of a stupid rookie thing. And he's kind of explaining it to him. And so Rodman kind of gets up in his face and like, Boomer's like uh, a little uncomfortable. And I like kind of put my like hand up and I was like, Hey man, seriously, just fucking go away, dude. You're fucking drunk. And this is, you know, obviously going in the wrong direction. So he, uh, fucking gets up in my face and I'm like six, six. I think he's probably six, seven. And he gets real close to me and his breath smells like he's been fucking eating hot garbage, which kind of upset me a little bit. And he fucking puts his, like, goes to put his hands on me like he's going to push me. At which point, uh, I closed a fairly short distance on him, fucking hit him with a two-hand fucking punch to the chest. And the first thing that hit was the back of his fucking head. And his little brain bugs, like, freak out and, like, everybody's fucking nervous. He's pretty much unconscious at this point. And, um, like, wakes up and everybody's like, oh, this. And, like, the security comes over and they're like, that was fucking awesome, but you should leave. (laughs) 
And so we walk outside and uh, as we're like going to like uh, everybody rides bicycles. So we go to get on our beach cruisers and the valet is like, hey, uh, this is fucking Rodman's bike. You should fucking take it with you. So Boomer and I get on our bikes and we three man ride like the bike in the middle and we ride it around the corner. Only problem is we had a, a few too many drinks. So it really wasn't going down the, the way that it should. Yeah, not smooth. Yeah, not smooth. Been and, there, and, done and that. And so the bike falls down and we're sitting there trying to figure out like, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to strap it to my back. This Suburban fucking squeals. It's fucking like power slides up and we look over and it's Dave Bin who played at Cal and is a long snapper for the San Diego Chargers. He's like, well, Warren, what are you doing? I'm like, Ben, what are you doing? He's like, you guys need help? I'm like, yeah, we got this fucking bike. He's like, throw him in the back. So we pop the Suburban open, reload our bikes in the back, and Ben, we get in with Ben and his girl, and as we're driving down, I realize that uh, it's Pamela Anderson in the fucking seat with him, who's his girlfriend. Huh. From Baywatch. I'm like, huh. So we go to my house, and a bunch of people show up. We're having a party. Rodman shows up three hours later looking for his bicycle. Like comes in the house. I heard, and, and one of the dudes told him where I lived. He fucking walked down there to get his bicycle back. And so then he came in and uh, started causing trouble. And I grabbed him by the seat of his pants and fucking threw him outside. Evo. And then threw his bike at him. And then he got on his bike and rode away. And we were like throwing shit at him, chasing him, and yelling mm-hmm. him like fucking like a bunch of dumb kids. Leave Dennis alone, man. And then it was in T- the and then it was in TMC. <laughs> 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 I got all these phone calls from uh, people talking about how uh, I beat up Dennis Rodman, and I was like, "What are you talking about?" They're like, "Well, it was in TMZ." I'm <laughs> like, "Well," so that was the uh, Dennis Rodman story. Nice. Yeah, so, uh, Dennis Rodman, but it was pretty funny. I mean, it's like a bunch of fucking 20, 30-year-old men. I mean, he was older, but like literally stealing his bicycle. Like, what a fucking bunch of idiots. Oh, well, I mean, first off, that 4th of July is just a war. Like, it it is a war zone. Well, they call it the war zone because it literally is, it's like a war zone of people. Like, thousands of people show up. Everybody's on bikes. Yeah, heavy drinking culture and, like, get sloppy. And, you know, it's all supposed to be in good-hearted, like, with, I don't remember because I was there for like four years. We we would go down there and mm-hmm. hang out and party and stuff. But I don't think we ever got in any fights or anything. It never was like that because there's fuck because there's cops everywhere. Yeah, no, there are cops everywhere. Like protecting people from themselves. I, I still can't figure out how Ben gotten got to where we were within this suburban because they closed <laughs> the roads and like it's everybody on bikes. People I walking have an around. Idea. Pam Anderson <laughs> shotgun. Yeah. Every fucking cop. Yeah, I was like, just go. Oh, Pam Anderson. Hey, uh, yeah, I got Pam Anderson here. Yeah. Okay, well, take her through. And like this is when Pam was still like you know yeah, like yeah, you yeah. know like like a thing and uh i just remember like in there and he's like oh hey you know like oh she's like oh hey and i realized i'm like i think that's fucking pam anderson and boomer's like i think that is tex what year was barbed wire made the great checking pam anderson action flick unfortunately my life has been riddled with all of these really really strange moments and occurrences that i have no ex- explanation for and i don't know how i got into these situations like that, const- that makes them better well, but, but like constantly like things, I'll look around and be like, I shouldn't fucking be here. This is really weird. Like I was telling these guys, we were in Vegas one time and, uh, uh, I have a thing where, um, I get super sketched out at like clubs or at anything like, uh, on drinks. Cause, uh, I was at a, a bar once and I'm pretty sure somebody put something in a drink. And ever since then I'm like super weird. Like I'll, uh, like if I got a drink, like I rather them crack a beer and like hand it, let me crack it or a Red Bull or whatever it is. Like, it, like if I can't see the actual transaction, I won't drink the drink. Mm-hmm. And, um, sure enough, we were in Vegas and this, they came around with this big tray of shots and the girl's like, Oh, Hey, like trying to hand them out. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. I don't drink trays of shots and weird shit. 
And uh, I just remember Kevin Federline, which is really funny, Brittany's ex-husband. Boom, flop. Was fucking right there. And, like, I just was like, uh, somebody pointed out. I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. I'm like, good thing we don't, like, you know, somebody doesn't try to do anything crazy. People hate this dude. Sure enough, somebody had put drugs in those drinks. And, like, three or four of the people that were at that table in that area that did the drinks ended up in a hospital for, like, for, like, a week. And I remember, like, the one girl passed out, one of the dudes, and then, like, a week later, like, I got this phone call. Like, yeah, right? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. You didn't get drugged? I'm like, I didn't drink those fucking drinks. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Kevin Federline's over there. People are going to try to kill that dude. I'm not fucking drinking drinks for Kevin Federline. And then when I told people that story, and they were like, Kevin Federline? I'm like, ah, just another random fucking occurrence I have no explanation for. I don't know how the yeah. fuck we ended up with that dude. You and Federline, uh, good pals then, sounds like. Uh, I, he just, yeah, no. No? No. Mm. I mean, you, Rodman, Federline. I mean, that's yeah, there's like some a, real extraordinary gentlemen, some real fucking uh, gems of society. The usual suspects, those guys. Oh, Jesus. See, Tracy, I'm sure you don't have stories like that, much like McQuilkin and I were like, well, one time, like, eh, never mind. <laughs> you know, like, there's no, there's but no, like, celeb I've, fucking I've beatdowns. Told, I've told these guys that uh, playing in Philadelphia was by far the best city in the world to play football in. Like, I remember when I went to Kansas City, like, we went into this restaurant and, like, they, like, sat us down and nobody came over. And they, I was like, this is fucking weird. And they're like, why? I'm like, when we were in Kansas City, man, if we walked into a restaurant, or in Philadelphia, we walked into a restaurant, oh. people would fucking riot. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, uh, you know, that was when, you know, Andy Reid and we won all those net or, uh, you know, we were really winning and doing really well. And uh, man, people like it was if you actually felt like it was um, like you were part of the whole deal. And then I went to another one to Kansas City and people could fucking care less other than on game day. You know, like it was just a really interesting piece to be have people be like that involved and that excited. And it was like, it's all they know. And uh, yeah, I loved it. Fanatics or diehard. Oh, did you go to the Super Bowl parade? Is it true they greased I up? I did not because actually Penn shut down. So that was like my first day off in a very long time. <laughs> so I avoided the chaos. Good move. Good move. So yeah. the university took a Every, holiday. Everything shut down, essentially. Oh, man. Yeah. Like you getting in and out of the city. I mean, I don't, I don't know. People were probably just like parked on the Schuylkill on 76. Yeah. Every surrounding highway. Yeah. It's madness. Well, I mean, dude, uh, uh, they have the Mummers Parade, which is on uh, New Year's Day. And uh, I mean, like, first of all, like seeing the fucking traffic and the commotion and all the stuff, man, like it's it was crazy. I remember right before we went to training camp one year was one of the last years of they had the big Greek picnic, which was like the black fraternities come to like Philly. And dude, uh, like you couldn't fucking move. Like it was insane how many people were there. So like it's pretty interesting that like whenever these things happen, it just shuts the whole city down. Yeah. It's like Villanova won the basketball uh, championship, and same thing. Everything shut down. It sounds like the city just wants an excuse to party. Yeah, uh, that, that could be it. <laughs> uh, so I remember, when was it? I, I think it was in. Uh, it was after the season, um, during the off season, but it was still pretty early. There was like a huge snow day, and I remember like the entire city shut down, except the bars. And I remember one of my buddies called me up. He's like, oh, dude, it's a snow day. The whole city's fucking uh, like nobody's going to work. It's going to be such bad snow. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, really? He's like, yeah, I'll see you at the bar at 8 a.m. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait a minute. I thought the whole city shit down. And he goes, except the fucking bars. Snow days, nobody goes to work. Everybody stays. But you go to the bar. And fucking sure enough, man, we got to the bar at 8, thank God, because it was packed by like 10 o'clock. Everybody's like, fucking snow day. Yeah, it was, it was the best. We had, um, uh, that's when I was living in Maniac, man. We had so much fun. So it was, uh, 
Yeah, no, Philly is definitely a place where uh, they like to drink, they like to eat, and they like to have a good time. And fucking sure enough, if you're from not from Philly and you're wearing a different uniform, they're going to beat your ass. I remember yeah. during TV timeouts, we would stand there and watch and try to count the amount of fights in the, in the stadium. And we'd be like, ooh, ooh, look at that. That guy's getting his fucking ass kicked. And they're like, what are you guys doing TV timeouts? I'm like, we just look for fights in the audience, man. It's great. So, no, one of the cooler places I've been. So, uh, uh, when you if, played, um, like, I know you mentioned Todd Rice, but what other strength coaches were sort of influential for you? Uh, at the time when I was there, it was uh, Mike Wolf and Tom Canavy. Okay. And, um, yeah, Wolfie and, and Tom Canavy were two of the best people I've ever been around just for the fact that they were Penn State high-intensity uh, hit guys. And mm-hmm. I, you know, came from a powerlifting only background, and then I got to go over and do all this fucking selectorized equipment bullshit. And I remember when I first came in, uh, you know, they put you through, you know, one or, one or two sets at each machine, and you're like, okay, we're doing row one, row two, and then row three. And I remember I got done, and I was like, man, that was great. And he's like, oh, yeah, oh, you know, good numbers, hand me my card. And I went back and got in line again. And he's like, no, you're good. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it again. Like, how many times are we going to do this? And he's like, we just have to do it once. And I'm like, well, that isn't any fun. I'm like, I, I, this thing only took me like 18 minutes to get through. And it was like 12 machines and we did two sets and just kind of went through machine gun style. And, uh, he's like, I was like, man, I got some more time to kill. Can I just go lift weights? And he's like, sure. So I'd go over there and lift weights. And then I remember like that was my first year. And then the second year when I showed up, when I was injured, we did that for a little bit. And then finally they were like, what do you want to do? I'm like, let's just fucking bang weights. And they're like, good. So we would just lift heavy weights and then use the machines for accessory. And then I remember every year after, like whenever I'd come in to lift or do the training, I remember the guys would always be like, why the fuck does he get to do something else? And they were like, do you want to do something else? And they're like, no, I just want to do these machines. He's like, (laughs) you know, like you have to train into the, you know, I guess earn the right to be able to do something else. And really it's, um, you know, and I'm sure you can imagine like by the time you get to the NFL, nobody's looking to develop an athlete. Mm-hmm. Like you show up. I mean, I showed up and started as a rookie and a lot of players like either they show up ready to play or they're not going to be there. So there's not this great idea of like, hey, I got to develop a guy. So you put them into a, you know, a simple system where you can make sure that they stay strong. You're not really looking to develop people. You're just not looking to get people hurt. And there's really, you know, I've never seen anybody get hurt on a machine or at least not on those machines. Yeah. And um oh. And you know what? And, and a lot of guys, too, really aren't weight room warriors. They just realize, like, hey, this is what I have to do. I get in. I get in and out in 20 minutes. Boom, I'm good for the day. Mm-hmm. And then the people that want to do more end up doing more. And right. uh, where I lived in Center City, there was a gym right on Walnut. Uh, I think it was a crunch. It was, like, right on the bridge on, like, right. Walnut. Um, My fitness. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I I would walk out and then make a, a left and then walk down and walk up the steps and walk over on the bridge on Walnut and it was right there and I would go bang weights there at night. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I, I didn't have anything else to do. I wasn't married, didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have any kids. I mean, I don't really like to watch TV that much. So I would just go home and be like, oh, what am I going to do? Let's go fucking lift some weights. And nice. then there was, a, on the way there, there was a, a Thai food restaurant that was like this little hole in the wall that I walked by. And I'm like, this place has to suck. And then I walked by one day and there was, there must have been like seven people waiting in line. So I asked them, was this place any good? And they're like, this is the best Thai food in the city. So then That's I would... I would always go through and tell the lady, like, hey, this is what I want, and I'll be back in about 90 minutes. And literally, I'd walk back and pick up food. And, man, and that was, uh, like, that's the interesting thing about a place like Philly is, like, you walk by a little random place, at least I did, and, like, turned out, like, this was the spot. And uh, it was right where I lived. So, yeah, I really dug it. 
How spicy did you go? Uh, you know what? The lady would always ask me that, and I remember I was like, oh, yeah, I like spicy food. Mm -hmm. Thai spicy is way different than like... Mexican. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like I was, I remember I was eating it and I was like starting to get a little nervous. I'm like, holy shit. So then I told the lady, I'm like, little spice. And she's like, <laughs> okay, little spice. Yeah. Yeah. I ordered, so, totally side note, nothing to do with anything, but ordered Thai last night, I was telling you. And oh, like, at, uh, at Thai, Thai Way 71. Thai I'm like, 71. Hey, man, you know, spice that up for me. He's like, oh, it doesn't come spicy. I'm like, yeah, I want some spice. He's like, Okay, how much spice? I'm like, I like it spicy. He's like, really spicy? And then, like, that story came and he'd be like, whoa, 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 hang on. Yeah. Like, like uh, hey. Was it the old dude? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. He, so if he cooks, the food's good. Uh -huh. So what my wife will do is she'll call, and if he answers the phone, she'll order. If it's not him, yeah, she it's won't order. Yeah, or, the, or one of the other guys. Because I did, that's my second time having it. He did make it, and it was, it was yeah. significantly better. But, yeah, you know, Highway 71, great one. Yeah, so in in, uh, in Texas, we have uh, food trailers. Yeah, instead of like the, the random hole in the wall, I guess you still have yeah, the hole in the wall restaurants. They move. But yeah, the yeah, food trailers are out there. It's, it's, like, like, it's, like, the, it's like the white trash food version, truck. right? Yeah, food truck, food truck. Yeah, they're like little food trucks. And uh, like, it's such a strange culture to have all these food trucks because I'm used to like little hole in the wall restaurants, but that doesn't really exist here. So you find these little food trucks. And uh, for the most part, most of them are like little taco places. Like mm -hmm. there's like breakfast tacos is kind of a, like an institution here, but we found this little like Thai restaurant random on like 71, which like there shouldn't even be a fucking food trailer. There's nothing yeah, around there. Right. Right. There's like a car dealership. There's nothing around there except this trailer and this dude's cooking Thai food. And it's, it's unbelievable. Like I, I'm just like, this is another random occurrence when I'm like, I can't believe I'm getting Thai food on the, on the side of the highway by a, 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 a like a used car lot in the middle of fucking nowhere. Mm hmm. And the guy's like, hey, what's up? And like, the, like uh, the other day we went in there, he must have had 10 orders. He's like, I'm three hours backed up. I don't know if I'm going to have enough food. Is. Yeah. I demand. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, but I, uh, the weird thing, and I, I didn't really expect this one. Like, we live outside of Austin, obviously. Like, we don't live in, uh, like, what you'd consider Austin. We're, like, 20 minutes outside kind of the suburbs, like, out in the country. And uh, I always imagine that, like, Austin had such, like, great food scene. Uh, it hasn't reached out here yet. No, not yet, man. And it's so disappointing. Like we used to, uh, like, like there's no breakfast spots. Like, uh, I remember in Philly, like everywhere had a breakfast spot. We used to go to this oh, yeah. place over by like, uh, um, Penn hospital and this, I mean, like every place had a, had like this kick-ass deal here. Like the only place is probably about 30 minute drive. That I would go to. I don't think it's a bad thing. Luke is forced to train instead of throwing out the pancake option. Yeah, you bring pancakes too close. Ah. It's like an easy ripcord if just everybody's, you know, everybody's not feeling the ah. session, Tracy. Everyone's a little groggy. Coffee's not kicked in. <laughs> too many deadlifts programmed. You're like, fuck it. Let's get some pancakes. So Luke has a, an allergy to deadlifts. It's an aversion. Yeah, he really has an aversion. And the only cure is pancakes. More pancakes. <laughs> so like, he'll show up. He'll be like, ah, we got deadlift today. Hey, maybe we should go get pancakes. I'm like, ah, there's really no pancakes around. He's like, fuck. I know. Man. I mean, before we lived in Newport Beach, there was like, you'd, pa you'd pass like the ultimate pancake house, the uh, original pancake house, like the world's greatest pancake house. House of pancakes. House of pancakes. <laughs> and this was just within like uh, the three miles between our house and the gym. And I remember we we're like, oh, there's a lot of pancake places. Now there's no pancake places. And here's the crazy thing. I don't even like pancakes. <laughs> but I like them more than fucking deadlifts. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you about that. <laughs> What's that, Tracy? Squats. Uh, oh, I'm okay with this. I would squat uh, five days a week to not have to deadlift every week. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I'd like, that's just like, uh, like, like, I always run into these people like, oh, I like to deadlift five days a week. I'm like, are you a fucking crazy person? Oh, rack pull. Like, I'm okay with that. It's just cracking it off the ground, man. I'm just such a pussy. 
No, I think what it is is, and I I did pretty extensive research just to be able to cover my own ass. <laughs> so this is purely is the uh, the the effect on the central nervous system from the grip of the hand in grabbing something mm-hmm. uh, is like that's the hard part on the CNS. Like that's why you know you can deadlift heavy. I think I remember Dave Tate made a, a deal that like a, a truly advanced athlete can deadlift heavy like every seven to twenty one days. Uh, when they looked at like recovery, but yet you can squat heavy, mm-hmm. you know, as long as the volume isn't too high, you can squat heavy almost every single day. And we tested that in a program where we squatted heavy every single day and everybody was doing great. And then all of a sudden we threw in heavy deadlifts and everybody was fucked. Mm-hmm. So it's just harder to recover from. Yeah. It's also interesting if you're squatting and you haven't deadlifted in a while, your, your deadlift will stay relatively heavy, right? Right. Like in terms of strength, if it doesn't work the other way around. You know, I right. think it's loading the bar on your back, you know. Well, but I, I think you periodically have to pull a heavy deadlift as yeah. just like a strength check. Right. Like that, I'm like, like get rid of it no, but I mean, we, I kind of used the deadlift that way. Like today we pulled some deficit stuff and I remember thinking like, this shouldn't be as heavy as what it feels like in my hand. I mean, I used to deadlift a lot more than this and it shouldn't be this heavy. And then, uh, you know, I, I use and do some HRV stuff and I'm always like kind of looking at recovery and, uh, my recovery was fucking like 26% this morning when I got, and, uh, I, I don't look at it until after I train cause I don't want it to you know be a crutch. But, uh, then I start kind of going through my mind. I'm like, okay, what did I not do? Well, the sleep looks normal. And then the fact that we didn't yeah. have that, like, so we had meetings yesterday and we kind of, I got a rope doped and didn't bring any food. So we had like a, a 10 to six meeting where I didn't eat. And so I was like probably two or 3000 calories off my total caloric load for the day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, all of a sudden my fucking, when that happens, my recovery goes in the toilet mm-hmm. and I'm like, fuck. So now I got to eat enough just to. I had some delicious uh, sirloin, crackers. Some delicious sirloin, <laughs> quite a hefty serving of greens. Um, Fuck you. Some some delicious servings of fruit, and man, my deadlift was fine today. Do you guys use uh, like Omega Wave or any HRV stuff in the training? No, we don't use that. Um, I think again, going back to budget and the software that we're using, it's already pretty expensive, and we've been able to show a return on the investment. So, if we wanted to add anything else, you know, it also is time you know we've again four strength coaches 33 sports we're busting our ass to coach everyone up so when it comes to adding that stuff i think if we had more more staff it'd be cool so what's the process do you have to like build a do you have to build a business case essentially for the athletics department to make the investment like is it a bidding process or i I assume that it's it's not just like hey oh they want you know the the strength staff wants some omega waves okay let's do it no but um in, in in her job, which is pretty interesting, like the administration will just keep stacking shit on you guys yeah. until somebody fucking says something. Like, what do you mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, three, three strength coaches should uh, be able to handle 33 sports. What's the problem? And you're like, well, none of you guys have ever trained anybody. None of you guys have ever lifted weights and none of you guys have ever fucking played a sport. Yeah. So like they have no perception of it. What do you mean? It's just it's just like my dad used to tell me, it's just counting to 10 over and over again. You don't have to be that smart to do it. And uh, I think like that's the. Uh, like that's the problem with the administration. I remember in college, like they, they would, you know, like, Oh, Hey, we're going to paint the weight room. Okay. Where are we going to train? You guys can, you can miss a couple days. Can't you? And you're like, ah, oh, it's a week, but like a couple weeks before the se-. like shit like that just blows yeah. my mind. And I just think that the administrators, they don't value it. So therefore it yeah. isn't put cause they can't understand it. Yep. 
If your dad only knew, it was just counting to five. <laughs> I was like, counting to ten? I was like, who does tens? You have to be a crazy fucking person to do tens. Conditioning? Oh, dude. I, uh, uh, God, I used to bust his balls. I, I, um, I've told these guys the story, but uh, I bought him a Porsche. Uh, when I was playing the NFL, and I remember I slipped that fucking key across from him. I'm like, see what all those tens did to you? Those that lifting weights thing you told me wasn't going to get me anymore. Yeah, that fucking lifting weights thing just bought you a Porsche. And he was like, touche, son. And then probably had some quip and made you feel like an idiot. <laughs> no, you know, he he, he was. Uh, yeah, my dad was a, a man of. Oh, he was a man of a lot of words, but very few words in a lot like of carefully ways. Carefully selected. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, he he didn't really say anything. He just kind of smiled, knowing full well that, um, you know, probably the stupidest thing you can do is uh, is fucking like squash your kids dreams. You know, like hey, I remember I told my dad I was 14. I was like super skinny and I wanted to lift weights because my brothers had told me I had this pencil neck like my brother Eddie used to take an orange and he would jam it on a, a pencil. And he'd hold it up and he'd be like, you know what this is? I'm like, uh, I don't know, an orange on a pencil? He's like, no, this is your head and your neck. It's fucking awful. <laughs> your pencil neck. He's like, how does your neck not break? And it was like this constant thing. And so when I went to lift weights, my whole goal was to get my neck bigger so he'd stop making fun of me. And so I told my dad I want to lift weights. And he just was like, ah, oh, this is what idiots do. They just count to 10 over and over again. It can't be hard. That's never going to get you anywhere. And I remember being like, well, you know, fuck you. And second of all, I'm going to get, and my mom like ended up getting me a gym membership. And that's kind of how it started. But uh, when he kind of smiled, it was like this, like, you know, kind of embarrassed a little bit that, you know, when your 13 or 14 year old kid asks you to do something that's super important to them, the last thing you want to do is just fucking curb stomp it. Uh, Unless he knew in his heart of hearts, that's how you're going to react. You think he was uh, no. that switched on? No, no, that, no, yeah. no. Like, uh, because you never know how things are going to react. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm the type of person where, like, just tell me I can't do it. Like, I fucking hate people to be like, oh, yeah, you're totally. No, 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 no. I need to. I need you to be against me so that I can build it up in my mind. Like, uh, I remember uh, my brother, Eddie, was funny. He's like, you're real. And I remember this was like at the height of my NFL career. He's like, I can't believe you still build yourself into fucking Rocky. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, at some point, you're fucking Apollo. And he's like, but you still keep this like Rocky mentality that you're going to get your fucking ass beat every day. I'm like, I just got a lot of dudes on their bad days. And uh, he was pretty funny about it. But he's like, man, he's like, if that's what works. So uh, but like for a lot of kids, you know, especially ones that want to like lift weights and get into training. I just don't. I mean, now there's so much information with the Internet and, you know, podcasts and all this. Like it's become acceptable. But when I wanted to lift weights in, you know, 1989, 1990. Uh, like it was just, you know, flex magazine and some other weird shit. And like, you know, like there was like gold's gym and dudes wearing fanny packs and doing weird stuff. And like, it just had this strange culture and it wasn't considered what it is today. And, um, yeah, I mean, thank God. So Tracy, you got a side hustle going on with the professional women's lacrosse league. So I'm curious how that opportunity came about and, uh, Philly's got a team. Apparently, it's coached by Ricky Freed, who's yeah. one of my old pals at, at G-Town. But uh, we've had some fun conversations. Tex, so. are you going to try out? I mean, you could identify as a female lacrosse player these days. I think my eligibility ran out. Anyway, <laughs> so how Don't did that? Heels. Don't drop the oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I think we're alone Pro now. Tip. Pro tip. <laughs> you know, the problem is you'd probably go out there and they would absolutely fucking run you into the well, ground. Have and... you seen Ladybugs, John? Basically, I'll write the sequel. What's Ladybugs? Ronnie Dangerfield. Dangerfield. That one kid, he's his, a female stepson. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. The movie can't get made today. Anyway, so how did this <laughs> opportunity come about and what do you have going on with the leak? So I also work for um, Ultimate Lacrosse, which is a club program based out of this area. And actually, 
the woman who owns it, Michelle DeJulius, she's like the Michael Jordan of women's lacrosse. She um, started this club like 17 years ago, was a four-time All-American at Penn State, um, graduated, actually became a police officer and was a member of the SWAT team in Baltimore, then got back into college coaching at Princeton, um, coached at Princeton for you know, like eight years or something, and then started this club based out of the Princeton area. So we've got over a thousand kids in the club. Um, and then she started, um, the UWLX started a semi-professional women's lacrosse league four years ago. And she, you know, didn't have the same goals as the people who sort of were running it. So she broke off and started the women's professional lacrosse league. And, um, when she was, you know, building her staff, she asked if I wanted to be a strength coach for it. So I said, you know, of course. And, um, it's sort of, you know, every, all the players are all over the country. A lot of them are current college coaches. Um, there's only six teams or five teams. And uh, what I've done, I've pr- provided a you know preseason training program for them. Um, I haven't done anything with the athletes one-on-one yet, but they are actually coming to Penn for their pro day in two weeks. So nice. Train train a bunch of them at Penn. What's going down at the pro day? Um, it's gonna be some boxing, um, probably some squats, some deadlift variations biometrics but yeah if you need any help let me know um the this this league is set up interesting because it's also a developmental league so as they go and play the games all around the country they're also running camps so the the new women's pll is teamed up with the men's pll and so i guess they're selecting 30 the men's i don't i'm sure it's in line with the women's they're selecting 30 cities throughout the country to hold these not just games, tournaments. So you don't go to Boston to play the Boston team. Now these six teams just travel around the country to help spread the sport. And so the pro games are paired up with camps to help just springboard the sport throughout the country. So that it's huge for the sport, in my opinion, and yep. a, a cool concept. Yeah, so the eventual goal is to get uh, lacrosse in the Olympics. And with the rules i guess for both men and women's sports if they're you know they have to be within a certain percentage to be an olympic sport so that's that's the goal with going professional so if you know the rules have changed over time but the college rules and the professional rules are different and the professional rules for the women's game now are more closely aligned with that of the men's men's game so faster pace um it's quarters instead of halves um different field lines so yeah cool brand brand new league and they're yeah the, the old league it took I guess it tried to be cool, like high scoring. There's a three-point line. No. So this new league is just going back to the game and helping to expand that not only in skill but also popularity. And, I mean, the college sport's fast and fun, so that I don't know, not trying too hard. They're old. I always thought lacrosse was an East Coast sport because um, when I, I grew up in California and I, I had never seen lacrosse played until – I mean, I think I actually probably when I went to college or when I went to Philadelphia and I remember seeing it on TV or them talking about like one of the college teams. And I remember watching it and being like, oh, that's kind of a neat sport. It looks like kind of like football, but they give them clubs. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yet my girlfriend in college played women's lacrosse. And I like that, you know, I mean, it's true American pastime. Native yeah. Americans admit it. It's, yeah. it's still the fastest growing sport. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it actually in terms of like spreading out across the country. So I coached a, a tournament out in Tahoe this summer. So it wow. is getting to California. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens because now that Southern schools have it, like Florida, Florida's top 10, they have been since they started a program, um, you know, 
Yeah. yeah. It's blowing up in Florida. University of Tampa, Tampa Bay, they top D2 squad. I would argue in, I guess, all these athletic discussions, I always throw women's lacrosse in there because you have to be more agile and, and move around. You can't just be a... Yeah, it's, a lug it's, and it's, use your uh, head as a weapon. It's non-contact, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot more like skill and development and shooting more so than just running over and trying to smash a dude with a fucking stick, right? Yes, 100%. So I always throw that sport in there. I always was a big fan and got a lot of the best seats in the house just to observe and watch freaking sling it around and have some fun. Well, I mean, are you really like the godfather of lacrosse here in Texas, Texas? In Katy, <laughs> Texas, yes. That you started the lacrosse? Like you were the first one to ever play lacrosse in Texas, right? At Katy, just let's <laughs> yeah that's why i call him the godfather well I, if i honestly think about it dude 16 years ago started the team i don't know how many kids have been through it but all those did, kids does katie still have a team yeah you're welcome kids oh yeah we did it <laughs> thanks thanks coach for you know shutting you down shutting us all down and mm-hmm. forcing us into controlling our performance um so john when he said um when we're talking about the deadlift, how you didn't have enough calories. Do you count calories? Yeah. Oh, I always do. Um, yeah. I just, I, I just. Total for the day. What's that? What's the total you try to hit each day? Um, it depends. Uh, for, for the most part, maintenance is somewhere around 4,000, about 4,500. Uh, right now I'm at like just around 3000. I'm trying to test it and see if like I can like use some of like the, uh, I guess you could say like wearables and I'm trying to see how accurate they are. So I'm like monitoring how many calories I'm eating and then I'm weighing myself every day and then like trying to use the wearables, uh, as some like metric for, you know, calorie burn and just trying to see, cause you know, a lot of people, um, hit me on with questions, but also we have so many people online, like, you know, a few thousand people following training programs around the world and we can prescribe, uh, training programs. And there's this inherent periodization model that I use, but at the end of the day, to be able to get some real world feedback. And we worked for a couple of years to develop a, a collar that was velocity based so I could measure speed. Um, but that became a little more difficult because the limiting factor for speed sometimes or a lot of times is technique. There's force bleed effects if their trunk is weak or, and then we would just watch videos and they'd be like, Oh, it's not fast. I'm like, well, it's cause your squad is fucking awful. So like that became a limiting factor. Um, so I've been always searching for this way to make the training more, I guess, meaningful and a little bit more choose your own adventure. Like for example, if you were to wake up and, you know, get like a, I don't know, something like the Omega wave or do a heart rate variability. And then based off of your performance that day, you could, you know, kind of figure out what like your, your sets and your volume is and be like, right. Hey, if, if, if this is what I'd want you to do on a green day, then like, let's say you were yellow or red and just kind of reduce volume, but keep intensity fairly constant. Yeah, Like hit a, hit a rep max, but skip the drop sets if yeah, you're in red. Exactly. Right. And so like that to me would make the program really meaningful. And we use it on train heroic with, uh, these readiness surveys. Like, how do you feel? And then a Eventually, the idea is to be able to take that readiness survey and then overlay it with, you know, let's say a month's worth of training where I could look at like volume, intensity, load, tonnage, frequency, and then really try to like figure out like a little bit of the metrics of like how somebody is able to do this. And so I, I started playing with variables. One of the guys that's followed our training for a bunch of years uh, went to work, work for Whoop. And so he hooked us up with bands and then the guy from Quora brought us rings and uh, Omega Wave. We've been talking with them and just trying to use these wearables for something meaningful, like a readiness score, uh, you know, being able to do. So when I played in the NFL, I would always uh, every morning when I got up, I'd always do like a, 
um, like whatever my resting heart rate was, but also I did uh, temperature. So I, I could kind of gauge where, where I was in terms of like training, overtrained, ready to go based off of body temperature. So if I was like 96.8, uh, I knew I was kind of overtrained because I was running cold. And then if I was, you know, rated 98.8 or 98.9 or whatever it looked like, I was more ready. And I, it was just kind of an interesting thing. In college, we used to use like the torque meters, like the grip, and be yeah. able to measure that. So um, there's some really interesting ways to try to gauge how ready somebody is. And then the other one is, is I used to constantly do this where I would try to dig myself into a hole and then see how, if I could perform at my highest and almost have the ability to like persevere through it. Um, because right. you know, like not every day. And that's, I think what sometimes I get nervous with some of this shit where like, if I were to wake up in the morning and be like, ah, I'm fucking 26, 26% recovered. I'm not feeling good. Am I going to mentally kind of put myself into a bad position? Whereas I don't look at it. I just go do the workout and then after I look and I'm like, ah, yeah, the numbers told me that this was the case. Like today when I deadlifted those fives, like the weight was abnormal. It shouldn't have been heavy. I, I kind of wanted to hit like a, uh, on the deficit for five, like, you know, 525, 545. And I was like, oh, that should be all right. And all of a sudden 455 felt like it was fucking 555. Like I double checked the weights and I was like, fuck, these things are heavy today. And then we got done with the training. We were able to get everything done. And then when I was walking down on my phone, I clicked on it. And I was like, fuck, I was 26% recovered. I'm like, but I could, you know, having lifted weights for so long, I like as soon as I touch the weights and do the warmups, I know whether or not like, like what today's going to look like. And um, knowing that I would love to have somebody wake up in the morning, be able to get their readiness score. And then, you know, whether based on however we collect it be able to kind of adjust their training so that the training can still be meaningful, but it's not digging them into such, such a deep hole that they end up getting injured or the training or they get burned out. Cause, uh, the, and you'll, the, this will make total sense, but we had Chris Morris on and he made a really interesting point. He said the, the, the athlete that trains the most consistently with the highest relative intensity over the longest period of time is the one that be, that does the best, right. which is like, okay. So like the relative intensity, the most consistent person with the most, the highest relative intensity. So if you can adjust their volume to keep intensity fairly high, and I never found uh, vol or intensity to ever be my limiting factor. It was always the volume shit. Like I could come in and still hit heavy weights. It was just the volume that kind of beat me up. I couldn't recover from. Yeah. So um, this is just purely me just uh, trying to test shit. So I was like, all right, I'll weigh and measure all my food. I'm going to get the calories exact. I'm going to monitor exactly what this thing says I do. And, uh, and then I'm going to wait, I'm going to use the scale weight to actually see if it's fucking bullshit. Because if I'm, if I'm negative a thousand over seven days, that should roughly be two pounds. And I should be able to see that two pound weight swing pretty consistently. And so I've been just kind of charting it. And obviously you have a standard deviation or a mean of like up and down based off of, of some other factors, but being under calories that much yesterday, uh, I like when I went to bed, I'm like, I'm going to be fucked tomorrow. And sure enough it was. And it's like, you know, and that's kind of the other one. I was on a podcast yesterday, uh, about fasting and the guy was asking me about fasting and if it, there was, how ironic there was a, a performance benefit. And I told him, I'm like, uh, the, none of the research would lead us to believe that training in a fasted state benefits anybody. I was like, right. you know, in terms of weight loss, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, if there's circulating branch chain aminos and you have protein and all the other, you know, nutrients circulating through your blood while you're training, you will gain more lean body mass and muscle than, in, than people that don't. Mm -hmm. And so just trying to explain that and then kind of put it all together. So, 
we have this really rare opportunity uh, to have this huge cross-section of people that are following very similar training programs, and we can monitor all that information, and then I can make tweaks. But I'm always searching for a way to connect with people that I don't get to see every day. Like you get to see your athletes walk through the door. You get to see them warm up. You get to look in their eyes, wrap with them a little bit. And just having done your job, you start to get a spider sense and you're like, Ooh, this person, you know, they're in finals, you know, let's say, you know, they broke up with their girlfriend or their boyfriend or this, or they come in, they look hungover because it's fucking Friday and Thursday night's national drinking night in college. Only in college? <laughs> For most normal people, Luke. <laughs> but like that idea, uh, I think is, um, you know, is really good as a strength coach because you kind of get into like the flow and you get to see and you know who's going to be able to, con- you know, uh, constantly perform and who isn't. But for us, like it's really, really interesting to work with thousands of people online that you might never have met and you're mm-hmm. administering training and then you're seeing these oh. results and they're fucking getting better. They're getting stronger. They're hitting you. And like we have, you know, pretty good social media. People tag us and shit. So I'm constantly like seeing people train and making these these uh, these gains. And for the most part, I would say like the bell curve, obviously there's like the kind of the outliers, but for the most people within the bell curve that are following the training program as prescribed, uh, are getting better. And they asked me, they're like, ah, today wasn't a good training day. And I'm like, but you trained, which right. means that you're going to get to train tomorrow. And as long as we can put enough days together, you will be farther ahead of the people that didn't put those days together, regardless of what you do. And I think when that piece of mindset, whether it be for your college athletes or just really anybody, like you become what you do the most. And so if like, it's like the, um, you know, and, and you, you know, for dieting, for, uh, uh, the bodybuilding stuff, like at some point you're going to be hungry. Like that's yeah. an interesting thing when you start talking about people about dieting, and losing weight. And you're like, I don't know anybody that's ever dieted and lost weight that wasn't hungry. Right. Like that's the weirdest point. And yet people are like, well, I, like I, I used to work with diets and help people. And I kind of stopped doing a little bit because, uh, people would be like, ah, I want to lose this weight, but I don't ever want to feel hungry. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, fuck, that's crazy. And then, then I, I got into the psychology of hunger and I'm like, hunger is your body's way of trying to get back to homeostasis, which is how you are. If you're trying to do something to change your composition, then you have to get outside homeostasis, which is fighting against your body's natural instincts. So you're going to be yeah. hungry, you know, so, hungry for the uh, competition. So I actually dieted the last nine weeks. I trained for like or started the diet, like maybe 20 weeks out. And I just wasn't where I wanted to be for the the first show that I did. So nine weeks out, I started eating tilapia and sweet potatoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I actually was living at home at the time because it was like maybe two years after I had graduated. And my mom is allergic to fish. So she made me cook all the... She didn't make me. I just wanted to do it. So I got a Georgia Foreman grill. Took oh, my God. little bridge from college put out in the garage it's like the dead of winter so it's freezing i'm in the garage cooking tilapia um getting up like doing two hours of cardio every other day 30 minutes of you know intervals every other day training five days a week plus coaching plus i was um getting my master's so like i look back i'm like man how did i even do that i still can't eat tilapia to this day uh, or look at a george foreman i'll tell you this the fact that you said tilapia i threw up in my mouth i threw up at george foreman though Um, no joke when when i was in college (laughs) uh i looked good 
We, <laughs> and that's, that's all right. that matters. It's the price to pay to be beautiful. So you know? when I was in college, uh, we were so far below the poverty line. It was a fucking joke. Like our scholarship checks were 730 bucks or 740. Rent was 475. I had extra money. My parents would kick me some dough. So I had roughly like five to 600 bucks a month, which worked out to be like $110 a week is what I could spend on food. And I, we would go to Costco at the beginning of the month and I would buy as many bags of the frozen chicken breasts as I could get. I'd get this huge thing of rice and like all like we just basically blow like 450 bucks at Costco on eggs, just everything we could get. And we had to hope that like I had enough calories to get to the end of the month. And if we got to the end of the month, there was this place called Steve's Korean barbecue that would sell you this massive fucking thing of chicken and rice. So I would go there and it was like five bucks, four ninety nine for this thing. And I would give the dude like every dollar I had to try to get as many as I could. And then I would take them home, put them in. And I cooked all that shit on a George Foreman cooker to this day. Like George, George Foreman cookered rice is fucking like, or I'm not a rice, but chicken with steamed white rice and black beans. Like I fuck, I lived off of that. And, um, yeah, but you said tilapia and I was like, Ugh. Oh yeah. It's like eating air. Not yeah. but when you say hungry, like, yeah, you're, you're fucking hungry when you're eating that. Yeah. Well, but, uh, but that's, that's the interesting part. Like, uh, people always like, Oh yeah, that guy got an amazing shape in this. And, uh, like we did some, uh, like we recently posted some before and afters or some of the diet stuff that we had done. Um, another thing Jim and I connected on is that he was a Mauro de Pasquale guy too, and always did the anabolic diet. And I know he dieted for shows using it. And that's the diet. Like I worked with Mauro in 99 and I've eaten some form of the anabolic diet ever since. And, um, as we were laughing about it, uh, you know, like going through this and I'm like, dude, like at some point, um, you're going to have to be hungry. And it's just such an interesting piece that people like have this hard, like uh, it's hard for them to wrap their head around that. Like when you see people in that level of physical shape, it's not uh, a fucking happy thing. Yeah. Like they have fucking put in the hours to suffer through this. You like you suffer this trans transformation and then you walk out and they see this big smile and they're always like, yeah, but they look so happy on stage. Cause they know they're going to fucking eat. Hanging after. On. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my, my wife did a uh, she she should have done. So she, she went to do this like figure show. Um, but when she showed up, uh, she they should have entered her in Bobby uh, bodybuilding. She was just way too fucking lean for the figure stuff. So she had gotten some bad advice. They're like, oh, you should do figure. She showed up at like right around probably five percent body fat. And they were like, you should do bodybuilding. But they didn't have her entered. So she goes into like the prejudging thing and goes out and there's like 10 girls and she's fucking dead last because uh, she has like separation in her leg. She's capped delts. And she was uh, so fucking upset that she storms off and she goes and she she said that she uh, ate like uh, a thing of pancakes. She drank like all of the ate like ate as many because she'd been on this like super restrictive diet. Wow. So she came back for the posing thing and she had like gained all this, you know, obviously like bloated up and uh, right. she ended up finishing third. So she finished last in the prejudging. But when she came back, she looked so much better. And they were like, why didn't you do that before? And she's like, uh, I fucking thought you were supposed to show up as lean as possible. And then the, the right. judge is like, no, you don't have you. Um, if you have any separation, in your legs and she, they, they started kind of telling her like what the prereqs were. And mm. she was so fucking mad. She's like, I didn't even have to fucking diet for what they wanted. And she's like, yeah. they should have put me into bodybuilding. So it's, uh, it's pretty funny, um, to, to like realize that, you know, you're, and this is what I always think is interesting with the bodybuilding community is, uh, your, basically training yourself into like the idea of what somebody else thinks that you should be right. Like, like the judge is judging you on their set of prereqs. Yeah. Subjective. 
Yeah, it is. And I fucking hate that shit. Like, I would rather go play a sport and have a winner and a loser and a point board than to have some fucking dude judge me. And that's why I could never really figure out, like, the bodybuilding scene for it. And that's what I yeah, always make fun about Jim about it. I call it a sport. You know, there's, there's, you, there's no display of skill. So I like the challenge of training for it, dieting for it. Well, that's um, the sport piece. It's the suffering. Yeah. But there's no display of skill. And it's, you know, again, up to these judges and some set of arbitrary rules like okay you have to look this way stand this way you know so it's just making it to the end that i I like the the challenge of it yeah i mean it's it's the uh it's the journey not the destination and without the uh i guess the fear of having to walk on stage out of shape or not be able to hit your mark like that's the Mm -hmm. biggest thing like when uh um, Lane Norton, uh, he's kind of a douche. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's like a, a PhD and yeah. writes a bunch of nutrition stuff. He put out this uh, book called fat loss forever, uh, which I read this uh, over Christmas and actually it was really, really insightful. For those of you guys listen to the podcast, I'm not, uh, I don't know Lane. I've we never had him on the podcast and I think he's kind yeah, of, so a, he just acts like a douche on social media. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's real douchey on social media. Like, uh, you know, constantly says things like, well, you're not a PhD, you know? And I'm no. like, uh, okay. Uh, but, he wrote a really good book on, you know, the psychology of weight loss and fat loss and, uh, you know, how people fuck it up. And like some of the things that he like went through, like, or he talks about with his clients and, you know, cheat meals and this, and, you know, trying to get people in shape was super insightful. Cause, uh, you know, we work with people all the time and it's like, you know, the calories are dialed, dialed you know, the workouts, everything's fine and they're not hitting their goals. And mm-hmm. the one thing I realized is the single greatest variable, the variable that you can't control is intensity and relative intensity and how hard somebody goes. Like what you might think is hard for you might not be hard for me and vice versa. So like when you talk about like, Hey, are you training at intensity? Like, are you just going through the motions? Like, are you going in to train for an hour and burn 400 calories post somebody going in there and burning 1200? Like how hard are you training? And, um, it was just really interesting on like on mindset and calories and just, I mean, 358 pages, which I read in probably about two days. But, um, just super insightful. But I just remember like anybody that thinks that they can get through this thing without being hungry, like you got to fucking fun, you know, make hunger your friend. And it just was yeah. a really interesting point on it, but check it out if you do, if you can. Yeah, so. what, do, what do the judges at like a, a figure bodybuilding or bikini show? Like what do they look like? Or physique show? What do they like look like? Old dudes, aren't they? Are they yeah, folks? They're older. Maybe, you know, at, Past competitors. Oh, so they um, like, but at least they're like past competitors. Maybe. maybe. I, yeah. I don't know for sure. Or maybe they yeah. just like it. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. got into it and they're like, okay, well, I can follow these set of rules and look at these people and determine yeah. who should win. Well, it's um, like to, to relate it to a sport, though, John, like for football, football, it would be kind of like the official being like, ah, third and four, you probably should have ran it. We're not going to count no, that touchdown. Or, or being like, oh, we're not going to count that touchdown because I didn't really like his mechanics on the throw. Mm, yeah. Like that kind was of a sloppy throw. We missed a block over here. Yeah. We had to scramble. No, well, no touchdown. Well, so when uh, years ago with uh, <laughs> so I, I had a food company, Well Food Co., and we went to the Mr. Olympia and had a booth and like we're handing the shit out. And we actually got to go in and watch some of the bodybuilding. And it was, uh, you know, I'd obviously seen pumping iron. I've seen bodybuilders. I used to train with these two bodybuilders. And uh, going in and seeing it, like, I couldn't fucking tell with a a hair's difference between any of them. They were all about the same size. They all looked fucking like, like I, like I saw these dudes like, like flight, like warming up and we were back there watching them. We, I watched those guys go out there and I remember thinking like, 
Like, uh, like, I, like to, I don't know. Counterpoint, it's like you watching football with Kate, right? Yeah. You know what to look for. She's asking, she's, but she knows what to look for, but not exactly what to look for. So, well, but I mean, dude, just, but like to see, like, comparing apples to apples if you're looking at them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but the, just the size and like the fucking density of these dudes, like they looked like a subspecies, like, or just a different species of humans. Like they were fucking like, and they were orange, which made them look like Jack Doom Palumpas. Yeah, I don't get the tanning is, thing. Yeah, but it, it's for the lights. I think lights. the lights. Yeah, so the lights and the you know, it, it's all done Art. for. But it's it's pretty fucking interesting, man. Like, and then the the weird part isn't the competitors; it's the culture around the people <laughs> who are waiting. The fans. For, oh, the fans who are there to get like. Are, are they getting fights in the stands? No, but like people walking around. I just remember like everybody smelled like horrible, like rotting tilapia ass. Like, people were walking around just busting ass. I'm like, y'all need to stop taking these fucking supplements. Everybody here stinks like shit. And, uh, but, like, the crowd, like, the people in the crowd and, like, just the attitude and how excited people were and, like, the shit, like, they're they're heroes. And I just remember thinking, like, these dudes are posing up there in their underwear and people are fucking, like, this is their religion. It was, it was really, really, uh, just super interesting to just to go observe and like as a you know for me playing football like I was never really a fan like I just I I did the job like to not like it was hard for me to understand but man people live and die for this shit yeah they do actually one of my um, former track athletes I don't know if you follow at at all but the figure Olympia for the last two years she was one of my track athletes Sydney Jillian what's her name Sydney Jillian okay yeah Yeah, we'll look her up some of my athletes I still keep in touch with um, and I hadn't kept in touch with her and she came back to Penn a few years ago and she like all the athletes were like, oh, tell me what happens. What happens? I'm like, what are you guys talking about? She actually went on the show Survivor oh, wow. and then like comes back, gains, gains her muscle back and wins figure Olympia last two years in a row. Oh, shit. So she's got that mindset to, to tear it down, huh? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. She was a track athlete. Wow. What, what did she run? Um, uh, short sprints and hurdles. Shocker! Look at that yeah. glute. Look at that glute development. <laughs> yeah, look. Yeah, she got a lot of high hamstring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll happen. That's why uh, we always. So uh, with all the fitness stuff on Instagram, I'm always like, man, if the thigh meat don't match the butt meat, then something's afloat. Like, uh, like it's like uh, the people like um, obviously plastic surgery where like something doesn't look right. Like the glued yeah. implants and all this. I'm always like, if the thigh meat doesn't match, then something's wrong. So no, she's, it's good. That's awesome, man, that, that she could transition and do something like that. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. with the training background, it's relatively easy just to kind of change it up. Well, just looked up her survivor photos. That's transformation for sure. Oh, yeah. She looks between hungry. survivor and then her competition photo. Yeah. She just looks hungry. Yeah. That's the trick. I would not survive on that show. It's just not worth it, man. Survivor? Yeah, but you don't really, I mean. uh, Like real life surviving versus TV surviving. There's two different. Those are like two. I couldn't flip on a Survivor switch for money. Have you ever watched the show Survivor? Early, early on. Yeah, I I watched the first season and just, I don't Mm -hmm. know. Not for me. I'll tell you 100% what I don't want to do. Naked and Afraid. Ah. I have watched that fucking show. No. Uh, it's my kid's favorite show. So my, my little girls are seven. They love Naked Afraid. They think it is the funniest thing. And whenever we watch it, no, they're, they're like, don't these people realize they're going to get sunburned? I'll be like, no, they probably didn't know that. Like sunburned, fire ants everywhere. Just no way, dude. Uh, we saw a preview for one the other day called, um, um, I think it was Temptation Island. 
where they take like five couples that are like, you know, like dating, having a good relationship. And then they throw like 10 single people in and then they video the whole thing. And we were watching the uh, preview. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, like it was actually for like uh, coming on during Naked Afraid. And I remember thinking like, this looks fucking awful. My daughter's looking at me. I'm like, I don't even know what this is. Let's just watch Naked Afraid. <laughs> But they think the show is the funniest thing in the world. They're like, this is great. They like, and, and then they're like, they're like, what are the, and then at first they were like, what are these outfits they're wearing? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like the blurry things. What are those outfits? I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Little they girls. thought that like where they were blurring out their privates were outfits. They were like, what is this fuzzy outfits? So it, it's, it's pretty funny. Cause uh, my son, um, who's two and a half, he hadn't figured out that like when you go to the bathroom and you take, like you take your pants off, you go to the bathroom. He hasn't figured, found like how to, like that he should put them back on. So if he goes to the bathroom, he takes his pants off, but then he just doesn't wear pants. And so I always tell him, I'll be like, you have to put your pants on. He'll be like, Oh, and he'll go back and put them on. And so they always joke around. They'll be like, cash. He's perfect for naked and afraid. And they're like, they're <laughs> trying to, they're like, yeah, this would be the best job for him. You hang out like this all day. And then I tell him, I'm like, uh, cause he started preschool or, um, uh, Montessori. I'm like, did you, I told my wife, I'm like, did you tell me he likes to take his pants off at, uh, after he goes to potty? And like, she's like, Oh yeah, I told them they know. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> So they're funny kids. So we're good. Yeah, Tracy, thanks for the chat. I mean, man, flew by. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with us idiots for for a little bit. And uh, you're probably like, God, I deal with these morons all the day for in their teams. No different. Nah, That's it. This is cool. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know it, Tracy. Thank you. And thanks again for listening to another episode of the Premier Podcast Industry. And, and conditioning. conditioning. Bye. Bye. time for you to empower your performance you can find tracy zimmer on instagram at the handle tracy underscore zimmer and i've been perusing all of the posts that you guys have been tagging us in on instagram and it looks like everyone's crushing their training pretty hard and i'm going to challenge you guys a bit further to tag us in some pictures or videos that show you testing your training in some sort of performance capacity performance is definitely a broad term so whether you're training for something specific or you just happen to find yourself smashing at athleticism in a less conventional way please tag us or send it our way until next time bye